Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is September 29th, 2020. This is episode 2741 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Tuesday, it is a Just Jack show, and it is a strap in and get ready to... Uh, Have your mind stretch, ass kicked, I don't know. It'll depend on where you are in your walk in life, which one of those it is. But today we are doing a show called You Are Either a Pawn or You Refuse to Play the Game. We're doing this because there's so much going on in the world right now that is designed to suck you into a false belief. And that false belief is that as a piece on the chessboard, you are a player moving the pieces. That, that, is, that is the great lie, the great deception. I've used that analogy many times. In fact, I'm going to tell you today what happened the first time I ever came on the air. This is all the way back when I was still doing the podcast from my car. This was in 2009, if I remember right. It could have been late 08. It was either late 08 or early 09 when I did a show called About Pawns, People Being Pawns. And it, cre it created great gnashing of teeth, wailing, and anger at me. And, and there was a reason And we'll explain that reason when we get to talking about that. But this is a game. This is a game. There are many games in life. I'm talking about a specific game right now. The game of control of the human race is what I'm talking about today. No, this is not a conspiracy theory. No, we're not going to talk about the new world order or population control. None of that shit. We're talking about the natural outcome of one government and corporations work together For long enough to amass this much power, what happens and has happened repeatedly throughout human history, it's different, but it's the same. It's the same, but different, man. In the words of Tommy Chong, it's the same thing all over again, or it's deja vu all over again, the words of Yogi Berra. In fact, we're going to have a lot of quotes today, a lot of quotes from movies. I'm going to talk to you about books, talking about a lot of different things. But in the end, what I want to do is I want to give you a 16-point plan. Now, don't worry. It's not like a... Like when I did the, the last time I went on vacation, I left you with the stomp plan. This was actually hard work that you had to do on yourself. Hopefully you did that because you'll be a lot better at these. These are just general things to live by in life. Some of them are work. Some of them are mindset. But these are the 16 ways to not play their game. And, and I want to be clear about my title today. If this was a multiple choice quiz, I would say... You can either be A, a pawn, B, refuse to play the game, C, C answers A or B. There is no third option. There is no third option. You are either a pawn in this game, and no matter how high you rise, and okay, you know what you can be? You can be a rook, you can be a queen, you can be a king, you can be a knight, you can be a bishop. You know what you still are? A chess piece. You're still a chess piece. The hand will still move you. So when I say pawn, it just sounds better than you're either a chess piece or you refuse to play the game. It's up to you, but you're going to have to make a decision. And today I want to help you make that decision and tell you if you make the good one, which is I ain't doing this shit, how you can actually do that. All right, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear... From our two sponsors of the day, sponsor day number one at a Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor. When we had no sponsors, there was Vic Frontala going, hey, I, I kind of want to sponsor this podcast to you as I see where it's going. 
He's a good dude with a great website with a huge selection of everything you need for your prepping. Find out more at safecastle.com. Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. You can get Berkey stuff from the Berkey Guy. Did you know that? You really can. Berkey water filtration systems are the best that we have. They really are. They're just, to me, they're the most cost-effective, good-looking system that cannot break with no moving parts that makes your water safe to drink no matter what. You can learn more about Jeff and his work at, the website is directive21.com because he hates marketing. Instead of having the com, his website is directive21.com. Anyway, not only does he have great Berkey stuff there, he has a lot of other great stuff for your prepping needs. You can learn all about it there. And Jeff is just a great guy that's been supporting the show for over a decade. So do consider, if you're going to get Ber a Berkey or Berkey parts or anything else for your prepping needs, check out his website uh, first. It's because he's been supporting us for so daggone long, and he is the Berkey guy. So don't get your Berkey stuff from, like, some dude at a gun show. Anyway, with that, I um, want to let you know something else real quick before I dig into today's topic. Just got this feeling like I need to do a member's brigade sale. I haven't done one in a while. And I'll tell you the discount code, and then I'll tell you the explanation for the discount code. I bet you won't forget it, though. And this is a little different than it usually is, so it might apply to more people than, than normal. The discount code is... This bullshit. All one word, T-H-I-S-B-U-L-L-S-H-I-T. This bullshit. If the word shit offends you and you don't want to use a discount code, don't use it. I don't care. There's no alternate. Anyway, this discount code, unlike a lot, they're like, you know, get at member support brigade for $35 a year or whatever. This is a straight 40% discount, which makes an annual membership $30, bucks, but it will apply to a $5 monthly membership. You get 40% off. It will apply to a quarterly or a semi-annual. It's up to you. You can use it any way that you want. The discount code is this bullshit. Where does it come from? My wife and I were talking about this recently, and I put this out on Parlor, and it like blew up really, really fast when I did. I said, in Texas, we don't say pandemic or lockdown or COVID. We just say, with all this bullshit going on, and everybody understands what we're talking about. Nobody even brings up pandemic or COVID. It's just with all this bullshit going on, And it's so true here. I don't know if it's true everywhere, but I know it's true here. And so that's the discount code. This discount, I just thought about it this morning, and it wasn't well planned or anything. I'll run it for a week, so it's good till Tuesday, October the 6th, close of business, Central Standard Time. No exceptions. If your dog eats your discount code, you got to wait till the next sale or pay full price. Anyway, with that, let's dig into this. I, I want to start out with the title again being you're either a pawn or you refuse to play the game. And when I came up with that title today, and I was thinking about a quote of the day, I decided on a quote that was really not from a person. Well, of course, a person wrote it, but it was from a computer in a movie. The 1980-something, it might have been 82, 84, 86, somewhere in there, but it was the 80s. It was when we still had drills in our high schools and our, our middle schools where they told us, hey, the Russians could nuke us, and if you hide under your desk, you might be safe, so let's all hide under our desk for a minute. And we would do that. And World War III was on everybody's mind all the time. And that had been the case for decades. If you ever really want to understand the Cold War mindset, the potential of all life on Earth being irradiated and destroyed, the bunker mindset that this country was in, and for how long, go watch the original Twilight Zone. The original Twilight Zone series, I believe it's on Netflix, Rod Serling's stuff. It's like from the late 40s, early 50s is, is when that series was out. It's all black and white. And like every third episode has something to do with nuclear war. And that mindset stayed from the 50s all the way up until the 80s until the fall of the Soviet Union. 
And so there were many movies made about the concept. And one was called War Games. Matthew Broderick was in it. And um, it was a really interesting concept. I guess the other actors have noted it was Ali Sheedy. Who, this is uh, before Breakfast Club. Uh, this was 83, if I remember right. Somewhere, 82, 83, 84, somewhere in there that this movie came out. And the concept was that there was this supercomputer called Whopper in D.C. that if there needed to be a nuclear launch, would launch all the nuclear weapons at the president's command, obviously, not on its own. And what the movie started out with is they ran a drill. The movie starts out with, we're going nuclear. And there's all these guys in these silos in different places to make sure that nobody accidentally launches the missiles. Each location has two men, each with their own key. And the two keys have to be turned simultaneously And there's no way you could reach and do both at the same time. So both people have to get the launch, check the code, agree, arm, and fire simultaneously, or it won't go off. And it turned out a whole bunch of people couldn't bring themselves to launch a nuclear attack. Some percentage of the missiles that were... it was that Nobody knew it was a simulation. Everybody thought it was real. Everything checked out, and when they tested it that way, a lot of people that were supposed to turn the key didn't turn the key. In fact, it cues in on one two-person crew, and one guy pulls his pistol out and points it at the other guy and says, you better turn that key. So they decide what they need is an override. So they give this computer the ability to launch the missiles. And... One thing leads to another. This, Matthew Broderick's character is like an early hacker. He hacks in. He plays Superdomity. He plays chess. He plays a game called Global Thermonuclear War. It actually triggers Whopper to perceive a Russian attack and launch these missiles. And it's a simulation. It's a game, but the computer doesn't know it's a game. Eventually, they get the computer to stand down toward the end because the missiles coming in from Russia are not real missiles. Actually, they get the people to stand down. The kid goes and tells them they're not real, and they wait, and they look at all these inbound Russian missiles that look real, and there are no missiles, and everybody's happy. Well, then the computer takes over and says, we got to strike back. Well, Broderick's character is this high school kid, gets the computer to start playing tic-tac-toe against itself, and of course it can't win. And it plays tic-tac-toe like a million games in a couple seconds. And then it starts running simulations of global thermal nuclear war on both sides. As many options as it can... When the first strike comes, who comes first, who comes second, how it comes, a lot at once, a little at once, as every scenario can come up with. And it finally shuts down. Stops the sequence. It was going to launch all the U.S. missiles at Russia and start World War III. And Whopper says, a strange game. The only winning move is not to play. It learns. It's a self-learning computer. And it figures out that no matter what happens, this is mutual annihilation. There's a lesson there for today's show. When we jump in and we think we're picking the right side in a battle, and we end up just contributing to the battle in the first place, and what its actual objective is, we're being used like pawns. And when we're in the system that we're in today, and I think you'll believe me by the end of today's show that this is what we're in, any way that we engage will only benefit the system. 
When people say the system, first of all, I always say it's not the system, it's the systems with an S at the end of it. And it's important that we understand that. Because if we look at the systems independently, the food system, the medical system, the economic system, and we understand the way they wrap around each other and their redundancies, because at the macro level, at the highest level possible, all those systems are in a basket that you could call the system. But when you start to realize their interconnected nature and how they have these niches that, that then kind of bifurcate and continue to niche down. So then you got the food system, then you got the regional food system, then you got the supermarket type of food system distribution, but then you also have the economic overlay. And the way all of it pulls together, you start to realize something. In any one of these places, if you engage directly with who you perceive as the enemy, fighting the system in the way most people use the term is a fool's errand that only results in picking a side in the system you think you're fighting against. And well, when I'm discussing this stuff, I really can't work uh, recommend the work of fiction by two authors, Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson, of the Illuminatus Trilogy, a book called The Illuminatus Trilogy, Highly Enough. It's a total work of fiction, but it drives home two concepts that even when fully known, often get left aside by even very intelligent people who then get sucked back into picking one side in a fight that really isn't a fight. And these concepts are, finords are real, typically anyway, they only work when you don't see them. I'll explain what finords are in a second. And the people who think they are fighting each other are actually being used to the same end game. Really recommend this book because I think it helps make these things a little more concrete in your mind. So let me start off with And again, this is more than 10 years ago. I came out and I did a show about the fact that most people are pawns. And it resulted in anger that surprised... I expected some anger. I expected some blowback. Because people don't like being told the truth, especially when the truth is, this is what you're doing, this is why it's a mistake. And the more you convince them that you're right, the angrier they get not at themselves and not at the system that's done it to them, but to you, the messenger. But it was almost a visceral hatred from a few people that came back. This is before there was a lot of stuff with social media and also people used the blog comments extensively back then. And I got one guy, you know, it almost made me think of the movie Network where the guy's like, I'm a human being, God damn it, that guy, right? You know, my life has value. Like, it was like that. But instead of, instead of responding to the system that denied your humanity, you responding to the messenger that pointed to the system. I'm not a pawn. I'm a human being. This person was also explaining to me all the reasons it was very important to get Mitt Romney elected and had, or whoever the hell was running at the time against Barack Obama. It was either McCain or Romney. I don't even remember anymore. But whichever one. And if Obama got elected, the end of the world was nigh. And, you know, we had eight years of Obama. I wasn't exactly happy about it, but the end of the world was not nigh. So while he was being a pawn, he was angry at me for telling him he was a pawn. And there were a bunch of people like that. And it's important to understand nothing has changed since 2000, 2008, 2009 when this, when this happened. I guess it was 08 because, yeah, the election hadn't happened yet. Uh, so it had to be 08. It had to be really early. It had to be like in the first three or four months that I did this uh, podcast that I, I had this discussion with you when I think about it that way. But there's two things there. And one is, it's the more important of the two. 
it is very natural for some of the things I'm going to tell you today to make you angry and for them to make you angry at me. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you being mad at me today. But the second point is they will only help you if you will let go of your initial anger at me and examine the truth of the situation for yourself. So think about that as we go through how things are in place today so that you really can't fight the shift in power or the, or the shift in control directly. There is no picket that you can do. There is no movement you can join. There is no vote that you can cast. And, and let's take it, take my belief that your vote doesn't matter and, and throw it out the window for this. If your vote matters, if your vote matters extensively, it still won't fix this problem. If your vote matters more than you believe it matters, it still won't fix this problem. If your vote matters that much and you can actually convince two million other people to vote exactly the same way you do, it's still not going to fight this shift in power and control. It's impossible. And here, here's why this is impossible at this point. Number one, all the groundwork was done for decades now. It was mainly done in our education system. And even the people that came out of the education system that think they think independently generally simply are saying, I'm not a leftist like the system tried to turn me into. The system is not designed to turn you into a leftist. It's designed to turn more people into leftists than not. And it's designed to make the other people pick the other side. It is, it is, it is absolutely designed to avoid political agnosticism. And it's exact, it's designed to, to completely destroy the concept of political independence. It doesn't 100% succeed, but it succeeds at a high enough rate that they get exactly what they want out of it. It is designed to push you into a camp. And it's absolutely the case that because it is a leftist-led agenda, they want the camps to be firm, but they want the left to outnumber the right. And that has largely been done. The only reason you don't have a complete leftist government in this country, even in states that you think of as 100% right-wing states, is because, in general, people of leftist ideology vote less frequently than people of right-wing ideology. Republicans vote at a higher percentage of their number. If you had full participation, this is why there's such a push for as much you know democracy and full participation as you can get. If you got everybody who was registered to vote to show up and vote the way they most probably would, you would have a country extremely left of where it even is now next year. And if you did that 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 16 years ago, it would have been the same result. It's been primed that way for decades. The system as far as the education system, is designed to create that result. It is designed to create a system where people are naturally led to comply. They're led to comply with one side or other, but as long as they comply, they're a good little bitch chess piece. Because if you'll comply with either the left hand or the right hand, you can be moved around on the board. And that's been done. And you're not going to change it. Because the second point is, the batteries do not want out of the Matrix. I said I'm going to do a lot of movie references today. In the movie The Matrix, by the way, Neo means new. So when you hear me say neo-fascists, 
Or when somebody says neoconservative, it means new. So if you understand that, if you understand neo means new, and you've seen the whole Matrix trilogy, and you get to the end and it all starts over again in a different way, in a new way, even though it was all done before, they gave you the, the whole secret to that movie series at the very beginning when they told you the character's name was new. It's not Neo, it's new. The guy's name is new. Got it? He's not there to fix it, he's there to start it over. And it's going to do the same thing again. Anyway, in that movie, Morpheus tells new Neo that they never free a mind unless it wants to be freed. And in general, they don't free minds as old as his. And that is where you're at. You cannot make someone come out of the Matrix who doesn't want to. Likewise, once you come out of the Matrix, you can't go back in. You can't go back in and be happy and content. It is a one-way process. And you have to understand, just as in the movie, most of those people who are plugged in as batteries will kill you. They will kill you. So that you don't unplug them. You have no right to unplug them, but it's not possible. They will become very violent and very dangerous. And I know you're thinking, most people in America do not have the stomach to actually kill somebody. They do. They just do it by proxy. I've often said, do not point a cop at someone if you would not point a gun at them. Do not point a cop at somebody unless you would not point, unless you would point a gun at them. The only reason you point a cop at somebody is because legally it makes sense, and morally you don't have the fortitude to be able to point the gun at them yourself. So when you start tugging at the wires and they report you and the agent comes to try to kill you, the person that made the phone call is the one that killed you. The agent just followed his programming. And these batteries, the average person, doesn't want out of the matrix. And I have to explain something. You know that group of people who are politically agnostic? Most of them are in the matrix too. They have an opinion. They just don't act on it. And they don't want out either. It doesn't make you better than them. It doesn't make them lower than you. It just makes them, they've made that choice. And all you can do... Kind of like as alluded into the Matrix is you plant the breadcrumbs and some people wake up to it and when they wake up and they ask for help, only then can you help them unplug. But there is such a high number that you can't do it. Right now there's no way to change the the trajectory that we are on. Next, the for, for Nords work even when they are seen now. This is new. From the movie, we just talked about Matrix, kind of like a glitch in the Matrix. So if a Nord is disinformation in plain sight, anybody who understands the reality reads that piece of disinformation and says, this is a lie or this is misleading. Here's an example, a very benign one recently. Joe Biden said something to the effect of, you know, since I've been in the Senate for 180 years, or 180 years ago, so I've been in the Senate since 1840 or something like that. And everybody wants to, they jumped on it, the right jumps on it, as being his cognitive failure. That he really thinks he's been in the Senate since 1840 or something like that. This was obviously a joke. This was obviously a joke. I mean, a guy, I do think he has cognitive impairment, but this was a joke. This is like we used to say in the army, man, I've been around since Jesus was a private. I don't think I was actually around since Jesus was a private. For God's sakes, it's a joke. It's saying a really long time. Okay? But people believe it even when they know it's not true. And there's 
thousands of examples, some far less benign than this. Far less benign than this. It has never been the case that people in general looked directly at the disinformation, recognized the disinformation, and still chose to believe it. We have reached a, a, a critical mass in a willingness to accept bullshit soup and gulp it down. It's there, and, and once you get there, how do you get out of that? Because everything has is, is, is been built. This entire shift has been built on polarization. Getting people as far apart from each other and an unwillingness to compromise or agree on anything as possible. So that you can basically use anger to move society to your new vision. Because it's not politicians doing this. Politicians are nothing but agents of the state. And the state isn't the state that you think it is. The state is not the entity created by the Constitution. The state at this point is money. And everybody that controls the money is not part of the government that it uses to control you. They are the pans moving the pieces. And it has never been the case that Fenors were so easily believed in, even when they're seen. Because that's what always destroyed the Fenor. That's what's in the book I told you to read, the Illuminati's Trilogy, when people would wake up, become woke in the real way. Instead of saying, what are your pronouns? They said, I see the Fenors. I see the Fenors. They look at the newspaper. I see the Fenors. I see the disinformation. And once you see them, it's like magic. They stop working on you. They can't work on you if you see them. They only work when you don't see them. Now they work when people do see them. That means that person has seen the wires plugged into their back in the matrix, has decided, I don't want you to tug at it. I want to stay where I am. And to be in the matrix, I have to pick a side. Next, the groups opposed to each other are pieces on the same game board, moved by the same hands. The same people that think they're, you know, the Portland Proud Boy Patriots or something like that, and BLM. I know they formed, I don't know about BLM, but I know the Proud Boys, Boogaloo Boys, whoever, formed on their own, most likely. So people got together, organically put these groups together. But once you're there, once you're a group, once you pick the side, I already know how you're going to react. I already know what you're going to do. And so if I control anything, I control everything. Since your response is a known. Since I know how to trigger your response, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just put something in place that's going to make you react a certain way, and I'm going to make sure there's people there to film it from the right angle, the right way, to get the PR that I want to put back to the masses the way that I want it. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do once you've made that decision to be part of that game to change what I can do to you. You can have no more control over what I do with you than the rook or the bishop or the pawn does on the chessboard. People say that the rook is more powerful, let's say, than the pawn because of how it moves. But if the rook chooses to, it can move just like a pawn, mostly. It is the mind that controls the rook that has the power. It is the mind that controls the knight. Even the pawn can take down the king or the queen if the mind is of one if the mind is true to the game. And if both sides of the chessboard are playing together, 
not trying to defeat each other, not each trying to capture the each, each other, but each already agreeing, this is what we want the board to look like at the end of this round. Then they can move those pieces wherever they want. And the groups really are pieces on the same game board, moved by the same hands. The people who think they are fighting George Soros are being moved by George Soros because they're responding to George Soros. When I act and you react, I'm actually in control if I already knew what your reaction was going to be. Your reaction can be your downfall. When I used to uh, take karate, and I, we used to go fight these tournaments as kids, you know, little kids. You had your gloves and your foot pads, and it was a three-point tournament, you know. Kind of like Karate Kid, except it was real. I can't tell you how many times I would score an opening point using a technique called the shuffle drop punch. And it's where you come forward and you come forward and you maybe you, you make a good ki or something like that, right? You come flying in, you have that right foot, that knee up in your chest. You're completely covered. There's no there's no good target for somebody to hit at that point. Because your leg is covering your torso and your hands are covering your head. And you're coming in like you're about to just do a straight-on front kick as hard as you can. And what inevitably happens if that person that you're fighting has never seen that move before, sometimes even when they have, because it's just human nature, that foot's coming, those hands drop, and all you do is you just let that right hammer come down like that right fist come down like a hammer, just a drop punch straight into the sternum. And I scored point after point after point with that until, you know, the other side has senseis as well, and they figure this out, and they say, this is what this guy's going to do. You have to change your tactic. But as long as you're reacting, and as long as I know your reaction, I'm in control. And that's what's going on with these groups. They think they're opposed, but I already, as I already, is the hand moving the pieces, knows what this group is going to do, how this group is going to behave, where this group is going to go, What I can do to cause this group to think they've won and pull back. What I can do to make this group more aggressive. I, and what I can do to frustrate this group and make it overreact. I already know all of that. So who's in control? If I act and it causes you to react, and I already knew what you were going to do before I took my action, who's in control? And that system is ironclad across the board right now. Next, the technology is in place. It's going to get implemented, and it can't be stopped. We've reached a critical mass of technology. We're going to get into a point where every single thing that every single human being does, in general, is tra traced and tracked. If you beat the tracking, it doesn't change the control. Because it's not about controlling the individual. It's about controlling the masses. You have to understand, as long as I control enough of the population, I control all of the population. Except the ones that figure out how to operate outside my system. But I don't care about them. I care about mass control. And the technology is there. We already have it. If the technology we have today existed in 1935 there probably wouldn't be a Jewish person on the planet if it had been in the hands of Nazi Germany. I'm serious. That's how dangerous this technology is. It's being used differently than, than Nazi Germany would have used it. And in some ways, it's worse for humanity as a whole. In some ways, it's worse. 
If you want to see our future, look at the social credit system in China and figure out how would you polish it up, make it shiny, and make it a softer but better form of tyranny for the tyrant. And that's what, that's what we're headed into. And you're, again, you're not going to stop it. You can put your cell phone, you know, in a, in a, in a mylar bag or in a, a ammo can or something when you drive around and only check it whenever you need to so that you're not traced. But it's, most people are going to put their cell phone in their pocket and walk around with it. And every single thing that they do and every single action that they take, we're going to be a cashless society. We're going to have a government takeover of healthcare. Most people are not going to drive a car. We're going to have self-driving vehicles. We're going to have a universal basic income type system. All of this is going to happen. I, I, I don't care how much you don't want it to. I don't care how bad you think it is. I'm not for any of it. I know that the only question is how long will it take for full implementation, though. I, I know there is no question that it will occur. Because there's too much technology. And it's, it's becoming more powerful on a daily basis. And the people behind it are becoming more powerful on a daily basis. And the people that are willing to think they're fighting it are being used to make it work. Next. People are getting angry. This is a metaphor. You've got to figure it out for yourself here. People are getting angry at characters in a movie they have watched 15 times now and they believe it's real. You know, imagine you're watching a movie. And the person next to you starts getting really, really angry at one of the characters. Like, I'm talking like, not, oh, what a jerk or something. Like, just like, good reaction to good acting, right? I'm talking like, they start getting red in the face. Their freaking heart rate starts going up. They start to get sweaty. They start to want to go find this person who doesn't actually exist and beat them to death. Okay, that's one thing. Because if it's a really good movie with a really good actor playing the part written really well, that's what they're trying to do. You know, if they're making a movie about a pedophile, they want you to want to strangle the guy and kill him. What if you've seen the movie 15 times? What if the script writing's not very good? And what if the acting's, acting's not very good? Well, the first time you see it, you're not going to get sucked in like that. Now, imagine somebody sitting next to you. They're getting sucked in like that, and you know they've seen this movie 15 times, and they know in their heart this movie's a movie. It's not, a, it's not like a documentary or something like that. What would you think about that person? Get a helmet and hide the crayons, man. Right? Put a cork on their fork. That's society as a whole. How are you going to fight this by winning people over who don't want to be disconnected from the Matrix or watching a badly written movie they've seen 15 times at least and getting sucked into it as though it's real? How would you reach that person? You know, maybe the first time you watched a movie with them, you'd be like, uh, Bill? Um... You know this is a movie, right? It's 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 not real. But if you you know if like you couldn't get away from Bill for some reason, let's say it was your stepbrother or something like that, and like it was the fifteenth time that movie was on, and he was still behaving the same way. I gotta get away from Bill. I want I don't want to watch this movie with Bill anymore. Good. Just apply that to life. Next, every government on the planet has more power than it should have. And that includes individual states. I'm not saying this is an anarchist. I'm not saying this is a voluntarist. I'm not saying this even is a libertarian. Okay? I'm not saying this is an agorist. I'm not coming from my personal viewpoint. I'm saying this is, if I was a legitimate, average Joe, who believed in the need of a state, 
and looked at this as, let's say, a, a, a classic constitutionalist in the old republic, etc., I would still say that every government on planet Earth has more power than it should. And I include in our republic the individual states, Florida, Texas, Georgia, New York, Alabama, Michigan, Minnesota, all of them have more power than they should. Which means there is no place to go to completely get away from this system and still be in a system. Or subject to the systems. You have to break away because there's no place to go. There's no geographic relocation as part of the plan. It's step number one. Strategic relocation in my plan I'm about to give you in a second here. But it in of itself cannot be sufficient. If I'm just going to go somewhere else and be part of the local government and blah, 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 and be part of, fight the system, fight the power man and expand from there, then you're back in the matrix. You just have, you, all you've done is move to a different screen. You're still plugged in. You physically haven't moved anywhere. Next, just like the movie The Matrix, this has all happened before. It will all happen again, even though it will be anew. Even though it won't be exactly the same, the pattern is the same. We just drew this lot for this time in history. You know, back in the olden days, there'd be times when uh, they would say to a, a legion, a Roman legion, for instance, you have been found cowardice in battle or you failed in some way, you're to be decimated. You're to be decimated. That means one in ten are to die. And everybody would draw lots. You had the short straw or the black rock. You went out and got stabbed with a sword. You drew that lot. Even in our own civil war, there were times when it was decided that a certain number of prisoners would be shot. In World War One, there were times when it was decided that a certain number of soldiers on their own side would be shot. There's a great movie. It was... Uh, uh, Mike, Kurt Douglas or somebody like that, old old one, the older one out of the, the father and son, called Paths of Glory or Paths to Glory about France. And so it wasn't even that long ago, about a hundred years. They drew lots, a certain number of soldiers were shot because of a failure in battle. Well, you're getting shot, directly anyway. But that's what happened. Our entire... This entire group of generations that are alive right now. Now, the oldest of the old that are on your way out, and most, of you, most people that are where I'm talking about aren't listening. I'm talking about you probably won't see the end of the year, and maybe you know, maybe people that only have one or two years left, by the numbers, you know, you're in your 90s. There's a point where people reach, and I think people just don't, don't worry anymore. They worry about what's left of their own lives, and they go on. But anybody that's got a significant amount of future ahead of them or believes that they do, because we could all get hit by a gravel truck tomorrow, all the way back to the, the, the most young among us, we drew the lot by our birth to be right in the middle of a flux that is like a millstone being turned by ten Clydesdale horses. And you're down in with the millstone. And you can either step out of the way, go with the flow, or fight. Step out of the way, works. Stay ahead of the stone, works. That's the people that just stay in the matrix. They're, they're going to stay ahead of the stone. The stone's going to chase them, they're going to run. And they're going to keep going in a circle, and keep doing what they're supposed to do, because if they turn around and fight... <laughs> Another quote, 
Squish, just like grape. Right? Remember that one? Okay. Squish, just like grape. The other way is, holy shit, that's a big stone. Let me get out of the way. Get off of the grind. Get out. Do your own thing. Or you fight it, and you get ground under That's because this is a repetitive system in human history. And once you see the pattern, there's nothing you can do to fight it directly. How do you not play the game? When you're on a board surrounded by pieces who think they are players. Realize that's what you're, you're, you're doing. You're waking up in the matrix, and instead of being in some tube with a bunch of shit plugged in your back with a bunch of goo on you, and waking up and looking left, right, up and down, and seeing millions and millions of people in pods... You're waking up on a chessboard. You're a little plastic piece. It's a massive chessboard, way bigger than any chessboard you've ever seen. And you wake up and you go, holy shit, look at that hand up there moving moving us around. Well, I just think I'm going to leave. And that hand might object to you leaving. It might do some things. But you could still, ha you could still move. And the person next to you is like, I'm a knight. And you're like, yeah, man, um... You're not doing anything here. That guy's fixing to move your ass and put you over there on that hex. I'm a knight. I always move this way and over to. Yeah, I, I understand that, but you don't have to. Um, and the guy over there is going to move you, and he's going to move you here. It's obvious where he's going to move you to next. I move where I choose to. I am a knight. That's what you're waking up. That's the matrix you're waking up to. The person is sitting in a hex waiting to be moved to the next hex, you can see the hex they're going to be moved to. You know exactly what the results are going to be. You know exactly what's going to happen. And they think they're making a decision for themselves. What do we do? My 16-point plan, we're going to go quick. Number one, choose your location carefully and with a strategy to your personal and family goals. In other words, figure out what you want your life to be like and then go to the place under the totality of reality that you can get to that gives you the greatest opportunity to have the most of that. So some of you will have a spouse that's like, we'll go anywhere you want. Some of you have no spouse. You can go anywhere you want. Some of you are going to have a spouse like, I don't want to go. And you're going to have to figure out within that, what can you do with geography to get the best of what you want for your life. And you don't do it out of just reactionary, like, I live in Colorado, and Colorado is the new California, therefore I must leave, go to Idaho. And Idaho is doing some stupid shit right now, folks. I've seen some people roughed up over not wearing a mask in Idaho, and I ain't seen none of that shit in Texas. All right? So just because we have this idea in our mind, what we actually have to say is, this is what I want. Design with the end in mind. Based on what I want and the limitations... The restrictions upon my design. This is the best location for me and mine. Because like I said, many times when it comes to a family member that doesn't want to move, they're at attached to family. They're attached to employment. They're attached to friends. Sometimes a 10-mile move might as well be a 1,000-mile move for what it does for your freedom. Sometimes you need a 1,000-mile move. Only you can figure that out for yourself. But... There are places right now that if you're in those places, you've got to extract yourself. You've got to get out. Number two, you have to either own a business or have some sort of side hustle or both. You have to be able to have some source of income that is not dependent on somebody telling you you did a good job and you were a good boy and you get what you get because you were told you get it. You, you, you Something. 
Again, I've talked about a million ways to do this. I don't care if it's selling plants out of a fish tank. Right? And, and when I say that, please understand, it's just an example. Like I, I came up with the most ridiculous thing that I could. Here's this 55-gallon tank of water in front of me with some fish swimming around in it that I have only because I like it. Can I monetize it? Sure. Look at that ambula. I can sell that. Look at the, 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 the rotala. I can sell that. Look at those fish. I can put fish in there that breed instead. Look at the one below it. I can fill that with shrimp and sell shrimp. I mean, like there's so many things I could do to make a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars a month out of a few fish tanks. But don't say, well, I'm only getting fish tanks now because Jack said, no. Like, if everybody does that, it doesn't work. It's a huge market. There'd be a lot of people before it didn't. If you really love it, you probably should. If you want to be good at it, you have the means, you have the space, etc. You probably should if that's the thing you want to do. But what I'm pointing to is that there is always a way to make money that's independent of employment. Because employment is one of the things that the hand controls. One of the things that allows me to speak my mind and not give a flying fiddler's fart about being doxxed or whatever and just be, you can't dox me, I'm public, is who's going to fire me? Who's going to fire me? My individual listener, maybe, but not society as a whole. The, the Twitter mob wants to come after me. It'd be the greatest thing in the world. I'd love the Twitter mob to come after me. That'd be great. There'd be all kinds of people that find out about me and start following me and contribute to my success. Even if it was only 1%, if they got like 10 million people to hate me and 1% of them ended up backfiring and loved me, I come out in that game. There's nobody in this audience that listens to this show regularly and be like, oh, he got attacked by the Twitter mob. He's not woke. I'm not listening to me. No, because I've been who I am from the beginning. You don't have to necessarily do that, but if you have the ability to do things that are independent of conventional employment, you are immune to that. And it will be one of the primary tools of the hand. All right, so I'm going to call everything now that the, the, the true people in power use to control you tools of the hand. One of the primary tools of the hand is the ability to influence through mob rule, through doxing and everything like that. Tool of the hand. Next, stop trying to free minds that do not wish to have freedom. You have no ability, you have no right. If a person wants to be a zombie, they have a right to be a zombie in this world. And all you will do is frustrate yourself. There's something about, like, you know, never wrestle with a pig. You just get covered in mud and annoys the pig, something like that, right? That's all you're doing. There's, there, there, there's no way you're going to wake somebody up who is not open to be a, being woke, right? And when somebody thinks they're woke and they're asleep, that's, that's the worst, When they think woke means asking someone their pronouns or some stupid shit like that. When they think woke is being a spoiled little rich kid who hates themselves for being a spoiled little white rich kid, but it would be okay if they were a spoiled little black rich kid. Like, you can't, you can't work with that. Nor can you work with the person anchored into the extreme right wing ideology either. You can't do it. All you can do is live your life. Be what you are. And in general, not give a fiddler's F, all right, I'll say fart, not give a fiddler's fart about what everybody else thinks. And the funny thing is when you do that, there will be people that it will cause a glitch in their matrix. Wait a minute. What's he doing over there? And when they ask, you give them as much as they want. And when they shut down, you shut up and go back to your life. You'll get more done. You'll be less frustrated. And the problem is 
you can't go back into the matrix asleep, but you can be sucked back into the matrix awake, which makes you miserable. When you start engaging with people like that and you think you're getting somewhere, all you're doing is being pulled into their reality. Okay? You're being pulled into their reality, which is is a delusion. Next, make your home a defensible fortress. If shit goes sideways, be able to defend yourself and your family. And yes, with guns. Yes, with dogs that bite. Yes, with fences. Yes, with already just being in a place that's difficult for somebody to bother you in the first place. There are people right now that are living in legitimate fear. Not illegitimate fear. Legitimate fear. That if one court decision goes the wrong way, their house will get burned down. Their building will get burned down. There's people living in legitimate fear like, I think I'm pretty safe where I live. But I have to go to this place every day and back called work. And in that trip, if something happens to go haywire while I'm making that trip, my life could be in jeopardy. And it's not illegitimate. It's not false evidence appearing real. It's real fear. It's legitimate fear. It's the fear that God gave you so that when a car was coming, you'd jump out of the way instead of getting hit by it. So when you have at least a place you can go to, And say, you know what? I can't guarantee that nothing's going to happen here, but I, I guarantee you if it does, I can take care of myself. You stop being subject to the whims of the tools of the hand that use fear to control you. Next, form mutual aid and support groups with an S. Do not miss the S there. I think freedom cells are a great idea. That's something John Bush has put together. Something you want to check out. FreedomCells.org. I'll put a link in the show notes. But freedom cells are one thing. That's everybody knows why they're doing what they're doing for a specific reason. Most solid community doesn't work that way. You can actually have community members that are still in the matrix that want to stay in the matrix, but you're looking out for each other. I don't know the politics of several of my neighbors that I do know, that I know are armed, that we've already agreed. If some shit goes down here, we're going to handle it. We're going to handle it. Don't care what their politics are. I care that they're honorable men that believe in defending their home, their family, and their community, and that's all I need to know. I don't need any more. If more comes, eh, we'll do that on a voluntary basis as we both feel the need to. When it comes to simply having each other's numbers, means of contact, means of understanding each other, an understanding of the layout, that's, that's all I need those guys for. When I grew up in Pennsylvania, the fact that I knew people that would help me fix my car. You know, I'm not about using people. I'm talking about people forming mutual relationships that are mutually beneficial, which is the natural way that humans behave. Understand that everything that I talked about in the beginning before I came to the solutions is designed to disrupt that process. It's designed to force you into tribal-like mindset so that you band together with people who really do not share your ideals or your values or your goals. When you, when you take something as dramatic as splitting the country almost perfectly in half in the left and right, there's no way that you actually share the values, morals, and goals and agenda of 150 million people. But hey, you know, if we're splitting you in half, that's how the numbers work out. Even if you look at voters, you'll get 50 million people. You think you agree with those 50 million people on most things? The preponderance of things that you want in your life? You really think so? But you've chosen to align with them 
because you've been divided. When you align with people, you align with people in the places where your goals align. You don't try to do it everywhere. That's how neighborhoods work. That's how communities work. That's how tight communities worked and always have. And they've been destroyed by this. So you need to form groups, and sometimes the group doesn't even know it's a group, and you're the leader of the group that doesn't know you're the leader. I'll leave that for another day going deeper into that. Next, produce something of value. Food, tools, something, anything. You should be able to look at your life and say, here's some things that come into existence because of what I'm able to do that have value to others and to me. If I produce food, I don't have to be selling it to know that food has value to others. I could be consuming it. And food is an easy one. It's why I always say to start there. But I know not everybody's going to grow food, so that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but that do something. You have to have something that you produce of true value. And if you can't think of something, figure something out. Next, number seven, develop a skill and mindset based on self-sufficiency. Go old school with your skills. You should know how to build a fire. I'll, I'll tell you, it was several years ago. It was probably ten years ago. I was at like a church function. And it was like, you know, there was like a movie night for kids and stuff like that. It might have been 15 years ago. I don't really remember. Um, but they had like a big screen and they were playing like kids movies. And it was like a kind of like a, a summer festival atmosphere, you know. It was more like a fall thing because it was cold enough to have some fire. So they were going to build a fire. And uh, there's like five grown men standing around a, one of the big metal drums, like a 55-gallon metal drum. They're going to build a fire in that. Okay, fine. Safe. It's not going to spread. Whatever. Had some holes in it, so at least it was going to work. And they've got all this bushy, branchy stuff shoved in there. That overall should be okay to get a good base down, and you could throw bigger logs in and stuff. And they're trying to light it. They can't get it to light. And it's... Uh, It's not perfect tinder, you know. It's not perfect uh, as far as, as, as kindling or whatever, but it's okay. It's got a little bit of green to it, but it'll burn. And once it gets going, it's going to go, but they can't get it going. They start having a conversation. And I don't want to interfere with people that I don't know, right? But I kind of wander over. I'm listening to the conversation. I'm willing to help. I don't want to tell a fellow his business type of thing. But then they start talking about what I'm going to run to the grocery store, which is like a mile down the road and buy a fire log, and put it in there, and light it, so this stuff will burn. And this is where I've, like, had enough, and I go get some grass, and, you know, frazzle it up, and build a little bird's nest out of it, because they've got a lighter, they're not trying to rub sticks together or nothing, they have no accelerant or anything available to them. They would probably have been afraid of it if they did. So I put the little bird's nest in there, and grab the guy's lighter, blow on it, and next thing you go, wow, well, you know how to build a fire. And I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, and none of you do? So we're not actually talking necessarily flint and steel, right? Or friction fire or whatever. Those are good things too, but basic skill set. Say you build a fire. Do you know how to cook with a fire? Can you cook with fire? Multiple ways. Heating up rocks and using hot rocks to cook with. Burning down and pulling out a sector of coals and being able to put a pan or a pot or something in there. Or cooking directly over. Like, can you cook with fire? This is just examples. It's why yesterday I recommended things like Wartime Farm and Tales from the Green Valley and Tudor Monastery Farm. Just to see how people used to live. 
Because it gets the computer going. That self-learning, amazing computer called your brain. And it makes you start to ask questions. How can I? And how can I is the most powerful question you can ever ask. I wish I could. I can't. I could if only. All those things are bullshit. That shut, they're lazy. They shut down the computer. How can I? And going old school with your skills is not just about having primitive skills. It's that when you have primitive skills, you're able to use modern technologies better. All right? So develop a skill and mindset based on self-sufficiency and go old school with your skills. Next, just simply being a solid prepper. I won't get to say much on that today because the whole show is about preparedness. But think redundancy. Two is one, one is none. Okay, that's great. How about two is one, one is none, three is for me, four is more, and five keeps you alive? That doesn't necessarily mean you have five of everything. But if this fails, then I have a second one. If that fails, maybe I don't have a third one. Maybe I have a third, another way to accomplish the same goal. You don't want a drill bit. You want a hole. So if I, I have one drill bit and it snaps, okay? I have a second drill bit. It also snaps. Well, maybe I got a blowtorch. You see what I'm saying? Like, you got to think that way. Like, i got to look at everything in my life and be able to go at least five levels of failure and being able to, to stand something back up. Or, no, this is a thing that I can do without because this other thing fills that void as well. But you, you've got to be a solid prepper. Store food. Store food. Store ammo. That's a little late this year. Right? I think you'll get another chance on that one. Take it seriously this time. I had somebody ask me, I was going to do a show about reloading today, and I just realized I needed more time to address the current situation with reloading because even reloading is hard to do right now. Have you seen some small pistol magnum primers lately? Hard to find. Go try to find 357 magnum ammunition. 357 magnum? Yeah, go try to find it. See how, see how much of it's in stock. Where? It's crazy. Right? So store the things that run out. Um, but have that prepper mindset, obviously. Number nine, homeschool your children if there's any way you can. Understand you're never going to fix public school. Ever. It's never going to happen. I don't care if you turn the whole school board over. I don't care if you turn the whole state education system over as far as like Texas or Alabama or Pennsylvania or New York. I don't care. It's impossible. There is decades of programming built into the people that will run your schools. This programming goes back to at least the 60s. There is not a single teacher that's not a product of the system you're trying to reform using the product of the system to reform the system that created the product of the system. Does that hurt your head? It should. I wanted it to when I said it. I know what I said. I heard it. I didn't misspeak. I didn't double speak. I told you the truth. You're asking for a product of a system to reform the system that it's a product of in the middle of the system that created it. Good luck with that. And if you want to have success in the post-flux world, you're going to have to be able to exist outside the matrix. And most of you are old enough that you're only going to see part of this. I'm only going to see part of this. We're entering a 10-year period of massive flux, but we're entering a, you know, a freaking 50-year cycle. In 50 years, I'll be 99 year, 98 years old. 
almost 99 years old, whatever, if I make it, and I promise you when I'm 99, I'm not going to give a flying shit. I won't care if I'm still around. But my grandkids will be my age. I'm cognizant of that. And what I can leave, leave them with is a true education free from indoctrination. I'll make that sacrifice. My wife and I together, we will make that. We'll fund it. We'll do it. You know? Because they're worth it. So if you can't do it too. When it comes to business arrangements, write your own contracts. Use private arbitration. Use, and this is like a bigger window. Anyway, you can avoid the state system, avoid the state system. What is the first thing two business people do when they have a disagreement about something? They rely on a court system. Why? The court system is not there to serve you. It doesn't see both sides in a disagreement as its customer, and its goal is to do the best it can for both. The state sees itself as the arbiter of right. And it, that means that one side must be wrong in this disagreement. And its job is to figure out which one is and punish the guilty. That's not how you resolve conflict. That is not a good way to resolve conflict. When you go into a mediation with a private company or just an individual that both of you agree this person can be fair, that person's goal is to resolve the conflict, not appoint a victor. The state never seeks to resolve the conflict. Two people don't go into a situation where one wants to sue the other person and a judge gets involved and says, you know what, why don't you two guys talk about this a little bit more? Look, Mr. Smith, I, I see where you got your point here, but I also see where you're wrong. Can you, can you understand why Mr. Jones feels this way about what you've done? Don't you think there's some way we can comment? Like, that's not what the state will ever do. They will never, ever, ever, ever do that. And so when you go into an arbitration that's actually a court situation, What you're doing is you're taking an all or nothing, which means either you win or you lose. And being right does not guarantee victory. So there's nothing worse than being right and denied victory in a way there's nothing you can do about it once it happened. Always try to use private systems to resolve conflict or to solve any problem that you can. Next. Consider having some form of productive livestock in your life. I talked about food production and what have you, but there's something that happens when you bring animals onto your property to do something positive for you. I think this is actually intrinsically a way that human beings evolved to live, and it creates a, a form of independence that I cannot even explain. It creates a situation where you also have to worry about, well, what about when I want to travel? What about when I want to leave? So factor that into it. Not everybody can do what we do, which is just simply basically hire a farm sitter. And at the size we are, you have to do that. But we've talked about other ways where you can automate a lot of things. You can disappear. You can hire somebody to check in once a day, you know, like, like, like you would for a dog. You know, I mean, you really can. In fact, in many ways, livestock is far more resilient than a dog or, I was to say a cat, not than a cat. Another thing, No, no animal that humans keep company with has the self-sufficiency of a cat. 
Every human could just vanish from the planet. And as long as there was an open window in the house that a house cat lived in, most cats, not all, but most cats would survive. They really would. Most dogs wouldn't. But most cats would. Um, but you can have livestock. It's somewhere between a dog and a cat on that scale if you want to travel. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to travel. But have something, something that produces for you that way. Uh, next, take what you want from the systems. I, I don't think that necessarily moving into the middle of the mountain of Montana is the right choice unless it's the right choice for you. I have no problem going to a nice restaurant. I have no problem ordering something from Amazon, have it delivered to my front door. I have a problem with being dependent on either of those things. And I have a problem with contributing any more back than I have to to be able to take that piece. And I really have a problem believing that I'm defending that system because I don't have any desire to defend that system. I'm just accepting that's the way the system is. If I have a piece of property and adjacent to that piece of property is a creek and water flows through it, I'm going to use that water. I'm not going to piss in it, right? I'm not going to dump my waste in it. I'm not going to damage it. But I'm also not going to delude myself into believing that creek depends on me for it to run. I am going to use it as the asset that it is because it's adjacent to my property. It's available. When the government puts a road in, I don't like the way the government did it. I don't like that they steal my money. But if I need to go somewhere, I'm going to get on that road and I'm going to go there. Complete and total separation from the systems is not what I'm talking about. Recognition of what they are, how they work, how they function, and not participating in their means of control. Not being the piece on the board that is moved by the hand anymore. Not being subject to the tools of the hand. Deciding, I don't want to be over here today. I'm going to go over here. And not deluding yourself where you think that's what you're doing, but you're not. Next, follow just enough of the rules of the systems to stay out of jail and trouble and prison. I'm a big believer in counter-economics. If I don't have to give a dollar to the state, I'm not going to give it to them. I'm not going to create a situation where I'm committing flagrant tax fraud where they're going to come get me, because they will. Especially me, I'm a target more than most people because I'm a public personality. Right? So you follow the law on paper, always. But there are so many rules that you don't have to follow in multiple ways. There's rules that are actually laws. No one cares if you break. People break them every day. How many people in your life have you known that have smoked pot and never suffered from it from a legal standpoint. It's just an example. I'm not advocating you smoke pot or anything. I'm just saying, like, that's just an example of, like, this is illegal. This guy smokes pot. Everybody knows he smokes pot. No one gives a shit. So the reason to not smoke pot, then, is not, oh, I'll get in trouble. Because here's Brian smoking pot all the time. Nothing ever happens to him. And if somebody does, something does something, he's going to fine for a 100 bucks. It's because I don't want to. Because I don't want... Uh, the effects in my mind. I don't want the health risk, whatever it is. That's why you don't do it, because you don't want to. But if you want to do something and you can do it, and nothing's really going to happen, don't let law get in the way. Don't let rules get in the way, but also don't do things stupidly. Because if Brian went up to the uh, 
police department and started burning a joint or smoking a bowl on the front steps of the police department, he's going to get arrested. Because that's stupid. So I'm, I'm trying to draw an extreme analogy here so that you can understand what I'm saying. If you happen to reload some ammunition for your next-door neighbor, technically you're supposed to have an FFL, and if you sell it to him, you're supposed to pay taxes on it. But you didn't sell it to him. He just paid for the components, and you did it as a favor, like Dr. Evil. Favor with the air quotes, right? And accidentally he paid you too much money, and you didn't calculate it. Think that way. I'm not talking about that thing. I'm talking about that mindset. There's all kinds of rules that we break. There's also rules that society has that aren't laws, that you can't get in trouble for, but people think they have to do them. In the words of Richard Bach in the book Illusions, the best way to avoid responsibilities is to say, I've got responsibilities. That's following rules that aren't really laws. They're just rules that nobody really has. They're rules like the idiotic senators are talking about right now. They're breaking the rule by appointing a, 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 a Supreme Court justice and voting on it. There's no rule. There's no rule. Show me the rule. Well, they said, I don't care what they said. Politicians lie. You all, Both of you lie. If the Democrats had the White House and the Senate right now and a vacancy, they would fill it before the election. There's no rule. Whether you think there should be or not is irrelevant. There is no rule. Show me in the, the rules for what the Congress can do in the United States of America are in the Constitution of the United States of America, the Senate's bylaws, right, and codes and laws that may apply to a situation. Show me the rule that says that the President cannot appoint a justice at any time during his term. There isn't one. Show me a rule that says the Senate cannot act. There isn't one. There's no rule. That's just timely. I don't really care. I'm just pointing out, there's no rule. That's an example of where people are screaming and screeching about a rule, and there is no rule. There are thousands of examples of rules that are not rules. Every child must go to college. Why? Some children are stupid. They don't belong in college. They hurt other people. Some people are too smart for college because they're smart in ways that college won't help them with. It's not a rule. Society has made it a rule through marketing. Repeating a lie frequently and often enough to where it becomes believed. But it's not actually a rule. Nobody comes and gets you if you don't go. Right? You have to send your child to the state school system. No, you don't. Millions of people don't do it. There's so many rules of conformity that are tools of the hand. Don't follow a rule just because it's a rule. Follow enough of the rules to stay out of trouble. Be smart in how you break rules so you stay out of trouble. Don't not follow a rule simply because it's a rule, though. Don't be spiteful. Don't be a child. You know, and I say, don't eat your dinner, and then you do eat your dinner, so I use reverse psychology. Don't let that happen to you. Next. This is one of my tenets of survivalism. I've been teaching this for 12 years. But consumer debt is Satan. And hold no court with the devil. There is a reality to a person being more subject to control when they're in debt. One of the reasons, you, there's multiple reasons for it, but one of the key reasons, so many of the millennial generation are ready to sell out to socialism. It's not just because they were programmed to believe in socialism. 
they're saddled with debt they know they can never pay back. Or at least they believe they can never pay back. Many of them can eventually. Many of them will be higher earners. But they can't see it yet. Some of them never will be. Some of them can never hope to ever be free of this debt. Why do you think they put them into it in the first place? Sure, they wanted to enrich the institutions. Sure, they wanted to enrich the banks. But what they really wanted was to control multiple generations. So the new generation, the younger generation, Generation Y, it's coming up right now and going and following right in the footsteps of the prior generation. Not to the level, but plenty enough. A, 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 a society in debt is subject to being controlled. An individual in debt is subject to being controlled. A person with a huge amount of debt on their back will do things that a person without that debt will not do. There was one time I was interviewed for a job, and I didn't get it. And I was very confused as to why, because I would have been very, very good at it. And I would have made a lot of money doing it. A lot of money. Like probably half a million a year. It was very incentive compensation based, but there was no... I had business in my pocket to give this company the day I showed up. I didn't give them enough for them to go get it on their own, but I gave them enough to know, like, I'm going to walk in the door, and in the first quarter, I'm going to write $5 million worth of business for you. So I was blown away. And I got this woman, this woman that was an intermediary between me and the actual hiring managers at this position, to, to, to level with me. She said, you know what they were really concerned about? No. You don't make enough money right now. What? Your, your, your salary history is not high enough. And I was making like buck fifty a year. And I was below 30. No college degree. I'm making 150 grand a year. And I'm like, I can go triple that here. And I'm like, I, I, I really don't understand. I don't get it. What do you mean? They need somebody, and she said flat out, they need somebody who's already trying to cover you know, a, a half million or a million dollar, three quarter million dollar mortgage on a house that's got two cars, that's got kids ready to go to college. They need somebody like that. And my naivety of being a young person is, why? Because she said that person will kill themselves in this job. They'll work 19 hours a day. And I said, I'll work, I, I do that now. She said, yeah, but you won't. You won't. You've, you've got a great standard of living. You've all, you're put together. You have everything that you want in your life already. You'll just stockpile money. And the more money you get, the less you'll care. And they know that. <sighs> guys, guys, this is the microcosm of the state. The, the two big reasons people are willing to sell off the socialism right now are debt, specifically in the form of student loan debt, and the cost of medical care, which is just another form of debt. If you have to pay $800 a month for your health insurance and you don't see any way to not pay it, what's your debt? Have you ever thought about it that way? Like, what kind of debt are you carrying if that's the case? Over 10 years, if you're paying $800 a month for socialism, over 10 years, if it doesn't go up, socialism, I'm sorry, <laughs> you pay more than that for socialism, but if, okay, if you're paying $800 a, a month for health care for 10 years, in 10 years, you'll, you'll, you'll spend $96,000. So if that was it and you were done, it's like sitting on $96,000 worth of debt. 
But unlike $96,000 worth of debt, that would be you know principal plus interest, the $92,000 payment over 10 years. When you pay that 120th payment, you've done nothing to the underlying balance. You still owe $800 again and again and again and again. And people don't even understand that's why they feel the way they do about it. It's like having a debt that will never go away. So you have a debt that could go away in student loan and a debt that will never go away in health care. And the student loan debt burdens the 20 to 30-something and the health care debt, because young people pay cheap for their insurance, burdens everybody above that age bracket one way or another. And you wonder why people are willing to sell out. You wonder why people are going to sell out. They have to. They can't afford not to. Imagine it now. Now think about it that way. You have a $96,000 debt in addition to all the other money you owe. You're going to pay $800 a month on it for 10 years, fully repay $96,000, and you're going to get a bill that says you now owe $96,000. Please pay this amount. And that number that you pay every month is going to keep going up every year. And in 10 more years, 20 years, you'll have paid in over $200,000, and it'll say... You now owe $200,000. Please pay this amount. People don't see it that way, but they feel it that way. That's why it's so controlling. That's why they did it. That's why they made it happen. That's why the whole system was created. Health insurance was never created to provide you with health care. We never needed health insurance, especially in the form they tried to make it in, where everything's covered in some way, so that now nothing is covered in any way. Right? We never needed that to provide health care to people. So why would we create it? To enrich corporations and to control people. That you can answer almost everything that we've created in the past 50 years in this country with to enrich corporations and to control people. Why did we create this? To enrich corporations and to control people. So don't make it any worse. Don't add any debt to yourself that doesn't pay for something you actually really need or doesn't pay for something that becomes more worth more over time. I'm okay with a mortgage. I can make mortgages make so much mathematical sense. Sometimes I can make a car loan make sense. There's almost no other form of debt I can make make sense. Almost none. I can't make any form of consumer debt make sense. And I never will be able to. And I have no desire to. Number 15. It's going to sound weird. Learn how to suffer. Learn how to suffer. I heard this recently, and it, it reminded me of it. On some news something, someone said this. It was some immigrant. And I thought about it, and I said, you know, I've been hearing that come out of the mouths of immigrants in one form or another for almost my entire adult life. For a good 40 years almost. I've heard, I've heard that since I was in school. Like high school, I remember hearing that. Some form of it. Remember, I had a, a, a classmate in eighth grade who was from Poland who basically said that. In eighth grade, nobody here knows how to deal with suffering. I think he said something more like misery or something like that, but yeah. And he was like, he didn't even know what the right English word was for it. But I remember that conversation. Redheaded kid. Can't remember his name. Daniel, I think maybe. But yeah, no one here knows how to deal without stuff. No one knows here to have any patience. That was in the 80s. People were a lot tougher then. Imagine what Daniel thinks now. He's still around anyway. We can't suffer. And the reason that it's important that we learn how to suffer 
And that doesn't mean learn how to suffer in, you know, like have somebody beat you with rocks or something like that. Whip you with chains. What I mean is learn how to be okay not having everything you want when you want it. Because we are weak because we can't do without. And the enemy uses it against us. That's how you move the peace so easily on the board. Since the peace cannot endure suffering, I'll just turn suffering up just a tiny bit. And people that have no need of money are screeching and screaming that we need another bailout. They're not even doing without. They see the potential to have more, and since they don't have more, now they're in their mind they're doing without, even though they're not doing without. You see how that works? Well, if I had this $1,000, here's what I could buy with it, and I don't have that, therefore I'm doing without, therefore I'm suffering. We think we're suffering when we're not suffering. We need to learn how to suffer. We need to learn how to do without. We need to teach our children that. We need to relearn the discipline of our grandparents. And we need to do it very quickly. And we don't need to try to teach the world how to do this, because the world's not interested in learning. But those of us who are stepped out of the matrix, we must accept this reality. 16 counters it. Learn how to find joy and simplicity, personal accomplishment, community, and all the things that you control. Suffering need not be suffering if we learn to find joy in the things that we actually can do something about. It, it amazes me how much pleasure I get when I walk out to that little pond I built and the sun's up high and the water's getting a little colder and the temperature's a little colder and I see those goldfish and those koi just kind of floating just a couple inches below the surface, basically sunning themselves. If I have to do without something I want for a day or two, that simple thing, that simple thing will make me feel good. Picking up a fishing rod and a few worms or a piece of hot dog and crawling through the woods to a little creek that I can fish anytime I want, no one cares about, no one else even fishes, and coming home with a, a dozen bullheads that I can cook on the grill or put in that pond, joy. Planting a seed and watching it grow, joy. Having a conversation with my grandson and giving him the education that I didn't get because no one even knew that I needed it, joy. Getting an email from a listener that says, hey, I started a side hustle. I went down to the farmer's market last week, sold $750 worth of product, had about 100 bucks in it. Made more money this week doing that than I've ever made in a paycheck. Joy. Simple. Joy. Learn to find joy in simplicity, personal accomplishment, community, anything that you control. That is where to seek your joy. Not only is it the place to put your effort, circle of control, it is the place to seek your joy. It's amazing what happens when you look at it that way. My final thoughts, quoting another movie, The Great Yoda, do or do not, there is no try. And then I added, well, sort of. This is a process of deprogramming yourself from a system that has been in operation on your mind and your body and those around you since before you were born. It is normal to backslide. It is normal to get sucked back in. It is normal to all of a sudden care about something you don't control. It's a lot like a 12-step process 
for an alcoholic, goes six months, gets that six-month chip, slips, drinks, has to go back to the beginning and work for that 30-day chip. But you don't sit and say, since I screwed up, it's over, I've lost. You go back and you start doing again. There is do or do not here. But it's not like when you fail, you stop. You do the best you can. When you find yourself falling off and being sucked back in and the hand beginning to move you again, the tool of the hand begins to affect you again. You have to wake up, pull yourself out of it, and go back and start over. But unlike the alcoholic who has to go back to the meeting and admit, I screwed up, I slipped, I'm day zero right now starting over again. You don't lose everything you built. You don't lose everything you've gained. You don't have to go back to zero. If you made it to six and you slip, when you're done slipping, you're still at six. You just paused. You stalled. Next is seven, eight, and so on. Do or do not, there is no try. But that does not mean that failure is not an option. It means that failure isn't the end. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there whenever you're shopping online, and no matter what you buy, you will help support this show and the work that we do. Today's item of the day are General Hydroponics Rapid Rooter Grow Plugs. Remember I said produce something of value. Food is something of value. I have found, now using these things for a while, not only are they the best thing that I've found for starting and growing plants in hydroponic systems, if you actually grow the plant in a hydroponic or an aquaponic system, when you're done growing a plant, you can pull the roots off the bottom of it, pull the top off of it, don't worry about the roots are in it, Hit it with some hydrogen peroxide to knock back any, like, you know, algae or anything. Let it dry out, not all the way, and use it again. I have some now I've used three or four grows. Seems to work fine. If you have a worm bed, put them in a worm bed, just on the top, they'll clean them off for you. They're pretty awesome when you look at them that way. They do a better job than any other media that I have tried for doing hydroponics, aquaponics, etc. when you're starting from seed. The only way I don't think you'd be able to reuse them is when you do the other thing I do with them. I use a hydroponic system to start plants, plant them in the ground. Well, then they are going to break down in the soil, etc. But, man, I've got some that three, four grows. That sure makes them cost-effective. Nothing else works as good. They're awesome. I brought them around today because I needed some more in spite of the regrowth. I've got a ton of shit I'm growing for the workshop. And uh, so I ordered a couple bags of them, so I have way more than I needed. And I was like, you know what? I should run them again. So there they are. Uh, the other thing, remember, you can join the MSB, and this bullshit is the discount code, 40% off any membership term. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on members. I know I said we were going back to uh, John Adams' song list, but when I put together today's song, I had a uh, I had a, a, a thought that this, this episode needed a song that fit with the concept of walking away. And the song I came up with for you is from Elton John, one of the most gifted singers of, and pop artists of all time, probably the most successful single artist of all time, really. If you, in any way you can really judge that. 
Um, there was a period of time it was something like a decade, where for a, more than a decade, there was never a time that Elton John didn't have at least one song in the top 40. And I don't think this song was ever one of those. This was the rare not hit from Elton John. But it's a good song. It's called It's Easier to Walk Away. And it's really talking about walking away from a relationship in a romantic sense and being controlled by that partner who just kind of won't let you walk away. But what have I said about the state? The state is an abusive boyfriend. And what I would add to the title of this song for this episode, not necessarily the song itself, it's easier to walk away than you think. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.